Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you. Brian Buffini here in an unusually feisty mode this morning, even more than normal. I am fired up to talk to you guys today. We are going to talk about a subject that is near and dear to my heart. I've actually been teaching people how to pay off their mortgage for uh, over 30 years. This is something I used to do for my first-time buyers in real estate. I used to do seminars for this for companies. It was actually the first time I really started speaking in public. It was over 30 years ago, teaching a bunch of employees how to prepay their mortgage. And I'm excited to bring that to all of you today. Now, some of you listen to this program when you're jogging. I've had people who take a shower every morning listen to the podcast. Don't know how that works. A lot of people drive and this and that. We're going to do some things that are difficult today based on the normal podcast, which is I'm going to do math. Okay, we're going to be doing mathematics, our maths, as we say at home. We're going to be doing that over an audio recording, so it's going to be a little bit challenging. But this is going to be worthwhile. We're going to talk today about getting the mortgage monkey off your back. And not only just getting the mortgage monkey off your back, I'm going to show you how this is the number one path for how most people build wealth and net worth. I'm going to walk you through a process. I'm going to give you a lot of how-tos, so very heavy on the how-tos today, that if you own a mortgage or plan to have a mortgage in the future, this is the way to get ahead. I got my studio here. We got our whole team assembled in the control room. We even have a couple of interns. We got Matt and Murph with us today. And they don't have a mortgage yet, but I'm going to tell them how to get one, what to do with it, and then ultimately how to get that mortgage monkey off their back and get themselves into a place where the mortgage helps you produce wealth. So a little bit of context, a little bit of big picture. I'm going to speak to the U.S. audience. I know we're broadcasting 160 countries. I have data in the U.S., and you can apply it to your own place. The principles are the same. So right here in the U.S., there's 136 million homes in the United States. Now here's the first big clanger right here. 34% of these homes, more than a third, are owned free and clear. So it is a massive, massive source of asset and wealth in the United States is real estate and actually a person's home. In addition to the 34% that own them free and clear, 14 million people owe less than 50% on their mortgage. I think we all agree that's a good place to be when it comes to your mortgage. Conversely, There are still, even after the recovery and all the things post-recession, there are 5.4 million homeowners who still owe 20% more than their home is worth. Now, just so you know, I admire those people because they didn't kick the can. They didn't give the house back. They didn't give up. They believe home ownership's a big deal. They want to own a piece of the rock. They bought high. They were unable to get ahead. Perhaps they refied and took money out, whatever. But they're sticking with it. And now the one thing about real estate is if you hold it long enough, you will win. And if you keep paying down the mortgage, you will win. Now, the current environment for this world we're living in, and this is understandable, in 2018, the median buyer in the U.S. put down 5% as a down payment. Just 10 years ago, it was 20%. Now, part of the reason for that is when the recession happened, a lot of people wouldn't give you a loan, and you had to put a lot of money down. So do I think it's a disaster to put 5% down? No. Do I think it's best case scenario? No. I won't 
you know, scream if somebody puts 5% down, but I want them to improve their equity position as quick as possible. You certainly want to be with a 20% equity is really where that's kind of where safety begins. But it's okay to get in the game if you have a good plan and all that kind of good stuff. And here's why. The average net worth of a homeowner in the U.S. is 44 times greater than that of a renter. That's just indisputable. That number has hovered between 38 and 48 over the last two decades. Bottom line is the net worth, which is the overall economic liabilities versus assets of a homeowner, is 44 times than that of a renter. So if you're a renter, it's a great goal to become a homeowner. And I think you bite, fight, scratch and claw and do anything you can do to get into that. The goal then is to make sure you're not at risk. You're not putting yourself at risk to mortgage turndowns. You're not putting yourself at risk where you buy more home than you can afford. Do you have reserves to, you know, suffer through a setback or a layoff or whatever? Those things are important. We'll get into all that. Another part of home ownership here, obviously, studies at Georgetown have shown clearly for decades that homeowners make for better citizens, more actively engaged in their community. And neighborhoods are stronger when citizens own their home. And that gets into crime, property maintenance, services, all that kind of good stuff. We can get into debates about income levels and people turn home ownership into social justice issues and all that kind of good stuff. Ultimately, I'm going to say you need to live somewhere. Food, shelter, clothing. Those three businesses are never going extinct. I promise you that. People are always going to need to eat. They're going to want stuff on their back and they're going to want a roof over their head. That's the same 2,000 years ago, 7,000 years ago true today and so if you need a place to live you might as well turn it into something that works for you now here's why owning a home is not working for everybody is because they are breaking one of the laws of the world and it's called the law of compound interest so compound interest according to albert einstein i quote this all the time it's the eighth wonder of the world now i'm currently helping in our mastermind summit building out our buffini bucket list and we're working on the seven wonders of the world and the seven man-made wonders of the world. And Albert Einstein, I'm looking at these things, and they're really astonishing. The compound interest, according to Albert, is the eighth wonder of the world. And he says this, he who understands it, compound interest, earns it. He who doesn't, pays it. Most people pay it. Most people are a slave to it. Now, I want to give you context here. I'll give you context on banks. Banks as a business. I'm just going to give you this in my opinion. Banks are amongst the worst entrepreneurs and business decision makers in the history of business. And yet they're always very, very profitable businesses. Now, I'm a guy whose events are sponsored by a bank. (laughs) The largest bank in the US. So are banks bad? Absolutely not. Without a bank, 80% of people would never own a home. I would say this today. Without the use of banks and mortgages, I would not have a fraction of the net worth that I do today. So banks are, in and themselves, they're necessary, they're valuable, they are great businesses. And I'm going to say this, as business decision makers, banks are the people who, you know, they dove right in and funded junk bonds. They f- jumped right in. We had subprime mortgages. They took subprime mortgages and wrapped it up in derivatives and traded it on the stock exchange, which was one of the leading reasons for our worldwide economic meltdown. Banks are not great business people. But how can not great business people what I mean that is from the entrepreneurial standpoint, recognizing an opportunity, noticing a need, filling that need. I wouldn't have bankers on my board to consult me about getting into new business ventures. Just wouldn't. But yet their businesses are always very profitable. And here's why. Because banks have one big great thing going for them, which is the eighth wonder of the world. 
How can a bad business decision maker make great business income? If you have a great model. And they have a great model. And they have a model where they borrow our money and pay tiny percentages of interest. And they loan out other people's money and they charge more interest. But it's not just the interest that they charge. And we're going to get into that today. It's how they charge the interest. And that's what we're doing today. Here's what we're going to do. The world we use today, we have life hacks and all of this stuff and whatever else. And I don't even know what the heck that means. I'm an old fart. But I'm going to show you right now. We are going to break the banking system today. I'm going to show you how to hack the mortgage system so that your mortgage works for you to get into it. And then you break the system by making the mortgage work for you. So we're going to talk about getting the mortgage monkey off your back. As you can tell, I'm fired up. Here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the pros and cons of a debt-free house. That's right. It's not just 100% pro. We're going to give you principles for defeating the amortization schedule. And then I'm going to give you a ton of how-tos. I'm going to give you a bunch of methodologies here. I think I have seven for how to actually prepay your mortgage and actually defeat the amortization schedule. So here it is. What's the payoff? I don't think you need to be a rocket science. What's the pros of a debt-free house? First of all, it's a great feeling. It's an accomplishment. You buy a house, you pay that house off. Check the box. And it does. It's a great feeling. Next, no more payments. Well, that's pretty obvious. So if I live in a home that I rent, I have payments for eternity. If I live in a home that I own that's paid off, I have no more mortgage payments. Now, I still have to pay taxes some insurance and maintenance and things like that, but I have no more payments on the mortgage to own the home. Pretty powerful thing. It is a very secure feeling. Oh, by the way, by a factor of three, it is an economic desire of women over men. So it's a very, very powerful feeling that you get from having a house that's paid off. And it's the number one source of wealth in America. Okay. In fact, to give you context here from the Federal Reserve, ballpark between stocks and bonds primary real estate, which is people's homes, and then other investment real estate, is five times the net worth of the average individual is tied up in real estate than stocks and bonds. So if you look at however many trillion is tied up in stocks and bonds, you multiply by that by about five, and you're going to get to see a little more than five times how much equity people have in their homes compared to even stocks and bonds. Real estate is where it's at. People understand it. It's a basic need. They get it. And there's always going to be a need for it. So what would some of the cons of a debt-free house be? Well, this is important to understand. Your home is not an income-producing asset. Now, if you go on the internet, the zone of all truth, no offense. I mean, I've had bloggers interview me and this and any other that were 26 years of age talking about housing and this and any other. And when I have a conversation with them, they've never owned a home, never owned a mortgage, don't have any assets themselves. But they'll say, a home is not an asset. A home is not an asset. And it's just not true. A home is an asset. Trust me. You own a house, free and clear, it's an asset. You go and apply for a bank loan or whatever, they go, yeah, you have an asset. So what it's not is an income-producing asset. So if you own a house, free and clear, it doesn't make you money. So many people, they think their number one economic goal is to pay off their house. And then they get to be, say, retirement age. They have a house that's paid off, but they have no income coming in. So... It's not the number one use, and I wouldn't put all my eggs in that basket. I wouldn't make everything I'm about paying off my home. Even though it feels good, there's other things to do, and we'll talk about that. Second, you lose a tax break. That's not true in Canada, but in the U.S. for sure. One of the benefits you get, to a certain degree, some of us that make a few books more, they greatly limit the tax break, and that's gone into effect even more. But for most people, there's a tax break where 
again, comparison to renting. Somebody's paying 2500 bucks a month to rent. They can buy the same place. They might get to take 300 bucks more in their paycheck and claim more exemptions to get a tax break. Makes your housing more affordable. Here's another thing. As a guy that's paid off his primary residence 15 years ago, I went in and wrote a seven-figure check to my bank. Here's what happened. It had been a goal of mine. I'd look forward to it. Went in, wrote a seven-figure check. Here's what happened. Balloons did not fall from the ceiling. Nobody jumped out. Congratulations! In fact, they made it a royal pain. It was like visiting a proctologist. Oh, we don't have this. How are you going to do that? Oh, we, don't, we have an accurate payoff statement. We have this. We have that. I was in the bank for an hour and a half paying off the bloody mortgage. And this great feeling I was expecting at the moment of accomplishment, even though it is an accomplishment to pay it off, just so you know, it's not all you think it is. And we'll talk more about that. So there's pros and there's cons. Owning a home free and clear is the ultimate goal when you own a home. There's no question about it. Now, there's other things we want to do. With my wife, what she understood, we owned quite a bit of investment real estate. My goal, I said, was to pay off all of our investment real estate, which are the assets that produce income, before we pay off our primary residence. And once that investment real estate's paid off, we will throw the money at the mortgage and pay it off. And so now we have a paid-off house with paid-off investment real estate, and that investment real estate apart from all the other investments I have and anything else I've done and the business I've built, my family is set for life because we have investment real estate that would more than pay what it would take to keep my family going. So the sequence is I made my money work for me and I invested to grow my investments while similarly paying down my house. And then when my investments are cranking, I use those resources to pay off the house totally, if that makes sense to everybody. I know not everybody's in that spot, but I wasn't in that spot either. I got there, and I want to show you how to get there. So our second major point today is defeating the amortization schedule. This is the hack to get you ahead. So there's a lot of books out today and podcasts and blogs about life hacks and the shortcuts, and you know people play the games and the fortnights, and they buy all the, the upgrades to get ahead in the game. Well, we're going to give you a way to crack the code here, and you don't need to buy anything. But if you really want to get ahead and get the mortgage monkey off your back, you have to defeat the amortization schedule. The amortization schedule is what takes the concept of compounding interest and lays it out in a mortgage. And it's why so many people just pay mostly interest most of their lives when it comes to mortgages. So first and foremost, we have to understand is that interest is not charged in a linear fashion. If you borrow $100,000 and you pay 4% interest, the 4% interest is legit. It's just how it's received is different. And what you need to know is that the vast majority of your payment up front is going to be interest. So if you're paying $1,500 for, say, $500 is going to be principal and $1,000 is going to be interest. That's not linear. So if you were to look at a graph and there's an arc at the top, it's a big curve down. The curve at the beginning, years and years and years before you get to the halfway point of your mortgage. So in addition to that, the average mortgage is only kept three to five years. So what does that mean? People keep refinancing, changing over. They start the amortization schedule over again, which means what? They're paying again, mostly interest at the beginning. So you keep leaning into more interest, more interest, more interest, more interest, less principal. So your debt doesn't really buy down that much. Even people who move, the average person's moving every six years. So we have to really get to the point where we're defeating the amortization schedule. I'm going to give you seven how-tos today 
to defeat the amortization schedule. And the goal for you is to analyze the seven and then ultimately decide which one works for us today and which one might work for us in the future as our economic situation perhaps improves. Okay? So just understand interest is not charged in a linear fashion. You're paying far more interest at the beginning, especially the first five years of a mortgage. So I'm going to give you a basic example here. I'm not going to get too down into the details of this. I met a young guy the other day named Manny, and he has a property in a town called Escondido here in North San Diego County. And he's telling me he has a $350,000 mortgage, 30-year mortgage, 4.25% interest, good interest rate. His payment is $1,722 a month. And so here's the way it breaks down. $480 of that is principal, $1,242 of that every month is interest. That's how the bank receives the money. They take 1242, you get to buy down the loan at 480 out of the same payment of 1722. What I was sharing with him is, hey, if you just make your payments on the normal schedule that the bank set up for you. And again, I used to do this with people when they were paying 8, 9, 10% interest. So, if they borrowed 350 grand, it might have been a million bucks to pay it off. I shared with Manny, your mortgage is 350, you just make your payments over 30 years you'll pay $620,000 in interest, okay? So if you look at it, this is compounding. If you get 4% of 350,000, 4% of 350,000 is not 620,000. And so that's what you have to understand. It's the amortization schedule where you're paying interest up front in the majority of cases. That is why it's hard for most people to get ahead. And that's why the real cost of things is so much more than people think. And so... Rather than go into great detail about this, if you guys go to the com, I can't do math over an audio recording. So what I do have for you is I've built out several examples for you to be able to figure out and understand how to defeat the amortization schedule. So go to com, and there's actually examples done out for you in a number of these different how-tos that we're going to give you. So Here's what I shared with Manny. I gave him an example, and I'll talk about this. It's called the matching principal payment method, which is, okay, you're paying 480 bucks a month. So basically, I'm going to round it up to $500. And I just showed him that if he could pay 500 extra bucks a month, he'd pay off his mortgage in 19 years and not 30 years. Instead of paying $620,000 in interest, he'd only pay 513000 so 500 bucks a month over 19 years would save $107,000 in interest. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a good rate of return. And that's because you're getting to save all that interest on the upfront side, okay? And so I know some of you are hearing this and you go, okay, I'd like to defeat the amortization schedule. I like the idea of getting ahead. I'd like to pay off a 30-year mortgage in 19 years, and I'd like to do it in such a way that doesn't kill me or have me eating top ramen for the rest of my life. And some of you may be going, hey, you know, coming up with an extra principal payment. So in this case, 480 bucks turned into $500 a month. That's a lot. Maybe your mortgage is a lot higher than that. Maybe it's 1000 Maybe it's 1500 Maybe it's 2500 in regards to your principal portion of your payment. Now, as I mentioned, I'm doing something today you should never do. They used to say, never work with children and animals. That was a Cecil B. DeMille. And never do math in an audio recording. So... The fact of the matter is, this is very practical to me because I'm actually sitting here looking at it. What I really want you to do, whether you're just a person who loves to listen and whatever else, I really hope you take this stuff to heart. 
Go to thebrianbuffinishow.com, and we have all of this stuff done out for you. We have examples. We'll show you how it works, whatever else. We have resources there for you that are absolutely free. All we want you to do is go check it out. I want to get this to you. I really want to sell you on the concept of it. This is the number one way to become wealthy in America. And I want to share with you that it's a lot simpler than you think. The principle is we have to defeat the amortization schedule. I'm now going to show you the seven ways to do that. But make sure you go and download these notes and the examples. They'll be super helpful for you, okay? So one more time, thebrianbuffinishow.com. Okay, so let me give you the seven. The bi-weekly payment. Number two is the matching principal payment, which is the one I showed Manny. Number three is the extra payment per quarter. Number four is the cash influx slash windfall. Number five, you're going to refi to a 15-year loan. Number six is to divide your mortgage payment by 12 and pay that one twelfth every month towards your principal. And then number seven is called do what you can. So bi-weekly, a matching principal payment, extra payment per quarter, cash influx, the refi, divide your mortgage payment by 12 and do what you can. So let me go through these pretty quick. So first of all, the uh, bi-weekly payment is the most common form of mortgage prepayment used in America today. And many people ask, okay, how does a bi-weekly payment work? Well, here's how it works. Let's say your payment is 1500 bucks, and you pay 750 every two weeks. When I say this to people, they look at me like I have three heads. Here's the thing. There's not four weeks in every month. So what ends up happening is you end up making 26 bi-weekly payments instead of 12 monthly payments. Now, if you think about it, if you take 26 and you divide it by two, it's actually 13 months. So that's right. You're layering in over the course of a year, one extra payment a year, one full extra payment a year. And this is so common now. Many banks have an opportunity. You can call them up and they can switch it to a bi-weekly payment very easily. Great to do it at the beginning, but it also can be done without refinancing and without reorganizing. Some banks will actually reset the mortgage to this. Some will allow you to do automatic withdrawals. And so the key is it has to be designated that it's going towards principal. Anytime you're making principal payments, you want to make sure it's very clear in writing, confirmed that you are making payments to the principal, not just making a payment. Very, very important thing. So a bi-weekly mortgage has been shown on average to take eight years off somebody's mortgage schedule. So again, it's a little slower than the dramatic nature of the principal payment, but I've also found it's pretty doable for most people, especially why? Because most people get paid every two weeks. So because most people get paid every two weeks, you set up your payment to come out every two weeks. And so what happens is you end up making 26 payments a year, which is 13 monthly payments, and you're one payment ahead. It takes eight years off your mortgage. And again, it's very nice, very clean, very doable. If you knew you could be out of debt in 22 years as opposed to 30, would you do it? And the monthly change for you is very small. So the second way to defeat the amortization schedule is the matching principal payment. And that's the one I shared with the young man, Manny. This is one I've used myself many times, which is here's the principal payment every month and I match it. And so in Manny's situation, he's paying $480 a month. I round it up to 500. And then that's the payment I make every month. When the mortgage starts to pay down, 
all of a sudden my statement is going to show I might be paying seven or 800 off the uh, principal balance. I'm not changing that. I'm just making an extra payment of 500 bucks on top of my regular payment. And as long as I do that, that loan will be paid off in 19 years instead of 30 years. Here's the third scenario. This is you make a payment every quarter. Now, this works. Some people get bonuses. Some people are saving. This gives you a little wiggle room on your monthly expenses. But I'll give you an example. I'll go with a different example here. The average mortgage in the United States is $220,000. At a 4% interest rate, that's a 1050 payment. So let's say once a quarter, so at the end of March, you're adding an extra 1050 towards the principal. Okay? You've been explicit with the bank. And that'll take up to 11 years off your mortgage. Okay? So again, we're breaking the amortization schedule. We're getting ahead of the game. It works very well. Next scenario, you get a cash influx or a windfall. So where do they come from? You get a bonus from work. You're in the sales business. You get larger commissions. You get an inheritance. I'll be covering this in podcasts in the future. But right now, in the next 20 years, will be the single largest transfer of wealth in the history of mankind. Somewhere between 25 and $30 trillion of equity is going to be transferred in the next three decades. People are going to get inheritances. One of the things we're going to share with people is how to handle that. One of the places to go, not 100%, one of the places to go is apply it to your mortgage, to the principal balance of your mortgage. Uh, you get a tax refund. You know, People have money coming and there's lots of advice on whether you should get a tax refund or not. I'm not really going to wade into that. But if you're a person who's historically gotten a tax refund, rather than find you know 15 ways to spend it and Jimmy Choo shoes or whatever else you're going to do, Make a decision ahead of time. Whatever tax refund I get, it's going to go against the principal I owe. And speaking of tax returns, before I forget, let me mention a tip I always gave to first-time buyers. Especially here in the States, a first-time buyer is able to write off their mortgage interest. Many times, I'd even have our lender calculate, based on a person's tax rate, what their extra amount they'd be able to get back on their paycheck so you could claim more exemptions get a couple of hundred dollars back perhaps as a first-time buyer so i would show a first-time buyer to use that extra couple of hundred bucks to apply to buying down their principal so whether it's a tax refund you get at tax time or whether it's the monthly break you get because of your mortgage interest those are both kind of neat ways to buy down your principal on your mortgage balance Sometimes there's unexpected cash that comes in. Bank error in your favor, as they say. You get a check. You get a, uh, you know, a birthday gift. You get this. You get that. You can throw it at it. Okay. A good tip I give people with regards to the cash influx, depending on the amount of it. If it's a larger amount, I would say never take more than fifty percent and throw it at the principal. Now, one of the ways I did this, and again, I have a lot of people who are in the real estate lending and mortgage business, as well as the insurance business. You know people who are in commission sales. So when I was a real estate agent, what I did was I had a goal to sell X amount of homes a month. That would cover my monthly nut of my home, my home expenses, my home budget, money to cover the taxes, and then some savings. So I would have X number of transactions I needed to do every month on average to break even, along with paying the taxes and then building up my savings. I would then set a goal to exceed that. And so if my monthly goal was if I sold three homes a month, that's a break-even point for me. The goal was to sell six. Now, I eventually got into eight and 15 and 20 and, and those kinds of things. But I would use those 
surplus commissions, take out the taxes, take out some savings, take out some giving, and then I would use that as the investment account, and I would take part, typically would go 50% paying off mortgages and 50% buying new property. And so I would build up those accounts until I could afford a rental property. And once I bought a rental property, then as I got extra commissions, I'm using that extra commission to pay down the mortgage on that property. And my kids, I'll tell you, I've never lost a game Monopoly in my life. I love Monopoly as a game. I actually have never lost. I drive them crazy. I had one knockdown drag out four hour deal with my son Adam one time and we ended in a tie. But I typically will own every street and every house and every hotel and the entire bank. And I love the game and I love everything about it. But I've also kind of done that in real life. Bought real estate, invested in real estate, paid off real estate, bought real estate, invested in real estate, paid off real estate. And this is how I've done it. So as a business person, in my commission sales job, I stayed inside our lifestyle, stayed inside our budget. And when we made extra money, I used it to pay down mortgages or build up in an account so I could buy another piece of real estate and then more bonuses, I'm buying down that mortgage. Okay, so now I'm playing Monopoly. It's a great game. By the way, it's a great board game. It is a far better game in real life. It is a far better game in real life. That's how, you know, a broke immigrant gets to be living high on the hog. Here's the next piece. Number five would be do a, a refi to a 15-year loan. Now, a lot of people ask the question, Brian, why don't you get a, a 15-year loan right off the bat? Again, my bud Dave Ramsey, he kind of insists people get a 15-year mortgage. So here's what I found out about 15-year mortgages and I've experienced with people. When you first buy a house, you have to grow into it. I mean, I, I recommend people, when they're buying their home, if they're a young family, I tell them to buy as much house as they can afford. Then you get a chance. You have to grow economically into it. And it takes a while. Now, when you get a 15-year mortgage, what it means is no matter what, first of all, the value of the home you can buy is okay because the payments are going to be higher. The amount of home you can buy is less. You qualify for less property. And again, especially on the two coasts, many people, they can't qualify for a home at all with a 15-year mortgage. The second thing is no matter what, the 15-year mortgage ties you into that payment. So yeah, you, you got less of an amortization schedule, but you're fixed with it. The dynamic here, what I was talking to Manny, is making his 500 bucks a month. But what happens is, let's say he has an emergency beyond his emergency fund. You know what? He doesn't have to make that payment that month. He can stop that optional payment he's decided and cover that emergency. It might be one month, two months, three months. Now, why would a Dave Ramsey recommend that? Because he knows most people won't do it. But I can say this to you. If you put it in a place where it's automatic, you make it automatic, it's coming out of your account automatically. It's a great place to go. What I like about getting the 30-year mortgage to start with, it allows you to grow into the house, grow into the economics of the house. And then when you have a little bit of, you know, your feet underneath you, you start chipping away at the mortgage. Now, obviously, the first five years of the mortgage are the most critical. So as soon as you're able, you start chipping away at that mortgage. Now, when do I like to see people do a 15-year refi when they're a couple of years into their mortgage and they've grown into it? They're doing a prepayment. They're doing this. And they go, okay, the bi-weekly is working nice. I got this working nice. You know what? Sometimes the rates are good and they want to refi. You can get a 15-year loan. So now you're two years in and you get a 15-year loan. Now you have a 17-year loan. That's even better than the matching principal game plan. So that's when I like it. But I don't like it to start with for people because it typically limits what they can buy, maybe keeps them out of the housing market altogether, and it's rigid. 
So I like the flexibility of the 30-year mortgage that I can choose to prepay as much as I'm capable of. And if something goes squarely or something goes sideways, I can adjust and I'm not stuck. Okay? So hopefully that's uh, clear enough. I know I'm throwing a lot at you here today, but hey, you don't get to be the king of Monopoly board without having a lot of plays, right? So in scenario number six, we're going to divide our typical payment by 12 and pay that towards the principal every month. So, for example, in Manny's situation, his payment is $1,722. He divides that by 12. It's $143 extra a month. And so Manny can get his head around that. Okay, there's a few simple sacrifices they can make or changes they can make to get 143 bucks a month. And now he takes his five years off his payment. So again, it's another good way to beat the amortization schedule and end the mortgage earlier. And the last scenario I have is uh, the do-what-you-can program. So the do-what-you-can program is basically, all right, I'm going to find 20 books here. I'm going to, you know, bag my own lunch and, you know, reduce maybe the Starbucks or whatever. And I'm going to whip out 100 books a month. So our situation with the 220,000 mortgage... This person throws 100 bucks a month. It'll save him 28 grand in interest over the life of the loan. Okay. Pays it off a few years earlier. 100 bucks a month, save you 28 grand in interest. Okay. So that's good. And so I know I've come at you here with a ton of how-tos today and a ton of math and this and that and the other. But ultimately, here's where I'm trying to get you to. The bottom line on this is, you know, banks are a great resource to help you get into a property. You have to understand then that the deck is stacked against you. It's not a linear logical process. The amortization schedule is massively in the favor of the financial institution. If we go after prepaying the mortgage, and by the way, banks are happy when people have more equity. So you become a good customer by chipping down your mortgage even to the bank. They like it. It makes you better. It creates flexibility. If you move in six years, you'll have twice the equity that you would have had. If you want to sell and move up, you have twice the down payment you would have had based on what you owe. It just works. The key is the first five years, obviously, because that's when the largest amount of interest is being paid. Another key is just don't use your house as an ATM. Now, when people got into the recession, people blame banks and everybody else. Here's the thing. No one forced anybody to refinance their house, take out an extra hundred grand and buy a bass boat or a vacation property. That's us. So just don't use your house as an ATM. Whatever mortgage balance you start with, don't let it increase beyond that, no matter what. Oh, but Brian, if I take the money out, I could buy another rental property and that will let me... No. How about you work hard, save your money, save the money and earn the money to buy that rental property and then buy it when you can afford a down payment on it. And uh, rental properties, you typically have to have more down payment than your primary residence. So now you're working harder. You're getting it done. But that is absolutely the right way to go. Do not use your house as an ATM. We saw it between uh, 2005 and 2007 and the astronomical amounts of money that were used in takeout refinances. And by the way, it's happening again. Because that's what happens with economic cycles. We forget. And we forget the pain. And people right now are using their house right at this time, at the time of the recording of this podcast, People are increasing the amount of takeout, refis, getting seconds again like never before. Don't do it. Get ahead of the game. Another little tip is if your company has a 401k, 
If you're self-employed and you have a, a SEP or you're in Canada, you have an RRSP, fully fund your retirement. That grows tax-deferred. That's a better investment than paying off your mortgage. So do that first and then pay off your mortgage second. Even though there's maybe not the, the same feeling about having a retirement account build up as the feeling of having a house paid off in 17, 19, 21, 25 years, five years earlier, 11 years earlier, eight years earlier, 12 years earlier, like all the different examples I've given you. And then the next question is, what if I have a rental property? My advice would be pay the rental property off first before you pay off your home. And then when your rental property is paid off, you use the margin and the surplus on the rental property to double down on the mortgage on your house. Okay? There's a Chinese proverb, and the Chinese are brilliant in business because they think long-term, as a rule. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Great Chinese proverb. It doesn't matter what your mortgage situation is. It doesn't matter where you're at. Ultimately, when is the best time to start prepaying your mortgage? It's with your very first payment. But wherever you're in the cycle and wherever you're at, here's what my encouragement would be. Throw some money at the principal. Start beating the amortization schedule. Start making the money work in your favor and it starts to really pay off. Uh, your regular payment starts to increase the amount it buys down the mortgage. It's just very, very valuable. And so you're going to see a lot of stuff if you start Googling this on the internet. People will say a house is not an asset. You'll hear people say it's a ridiculous use of your money is to prepay your mortgage. You're only saving 2% interest. I would love to assess the net worth of the people giving the advice. That's all I got to say. Show me how what you're worth. Because there's a lot of opinions out there. I know this. I've been living real estate since 1986. And real estate been very good to me. It's made me a fortune. I learned these principles. I applied these principles. And these principles have made me a fortune. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. Housing is a pretty simple thing to understand. Where do people get into trouble with housing? It's because not because of housing. It's because of how they handle debt. How do you lose five or six properties to a foreclosure? It's because you leverage one to the next, to the next, to the next, as opposed to I had one. Let me grind down on that. Let me take my time, save the money, get the next one, grind it down. Did I wait till I was free and clear on an investment property before I bought another one? No. But I always wanted to be sure I was at least at 65% loan to value before I bought another rental property. And so did it for years and years and years. And so as we continue to grow, this podcast, one of the things we're looking to do is make it more interactive. And uh, one of the things we want to do is get your questions and get into a little more Q&A, especially on beefy content like this, getting into your particular scenario and how you can help. To find out how to get involved and maybe get your questions answered and whatever else, I'm going to hand it over to the sexy, sultry tones of our producer, Mr. David Lally. Thanks, Brian. This has been so valuable. I'm sure our listeners can't wait to start implementing one of these great action steps to prepay their mortgage. If you have questions, send them our way on social media or email brianb at buffiniandcompany.com. We don't ask for much on the show. In fact, all we'd love you to do is share with others. This is the type of content anyone can benefit from, so share it with a friend. And for now, Brian's mum, Therese, gets the final word. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. Music